0: you can remain standing for the reading of God's Word, we'll be reading out of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold and which was a golden urn holding the manna an Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat and of these things we cannot now speak in detail. which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We find ourselves in the continued study of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews began with this beautiful picture of Jesus being the greater. He's greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Abraham, he's greater than Aaron and the Arianic priesthood that comes from the law. Therefore, he's greater than the Old Testament law because the law established a priesthood that is faulty, that is sinful. That needed to be done away with and fulfilled in the greater Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the mediator of this better covenant, the new covenant. And so this morning we're going to be taking a look at specifically now the the tabernacle itself and the pieces within the tabernacle. But before we do that, I, I want you to understand something that's really important as we look at the tabernacle. We read in this section of scriptures that the priests would daily serve within the temple. Would daily work. And and I don't know if we said this last week or not, but if it did, it bears repeating that there was no chair for rest within the holy place. There was only service that was to be conducted. There was only work to be done within the holy place. But I want you to understand something. That that work that was done, the service that was rendered by the high priest, was supposed to been worship. Now you're like, well, why why are you saying that? Because I think, even when I think back about all the ritualistic things, if you read to read through Leviticus and you read in Exodus and you read all the ceremonial laws and Deuteronomy that were placed upon the Arianic priesthood and how it all was supposed, what the garb that they were supposed to be wearing, all the activities that were supposed to take place, when they were supposed to take place, what would it be done if this wasn't done right or that wasn't done right, you may get this feeling of burden. You may get this feeling of man, what a drag. But it wasn't supposed to be that way. The service that was taking place within the holy place, within the holy of holies, was supposed to have been an act of worship for the people of Israel, demonstrated by the high priest to God. And this is significant as we study this passage of scripture, because when we dive into this passage of scripture, there's a certain word that keeps surfacing, but... Unfortunately, because of the English translation, you don't get to understand that it's the same word being repeated four different times because it's repeating a little bit different nuanced. In one section, it's being stated as worship. Another portion, it's being referred to as service. And another portion, it's being referred to as worshiper. But it all comes from the same root word. And just to show you, I know Greek and I'm really smart. It's called Latria, okay? And it's gonna kind of got, you know, look... There you go. You had your Greek word for the day, right? And we met the quota. Latria. I love this word. Lamed. No. <laughs> um, it's L-A-T-R-E-I-A would be, would be the closest I think it would get in the English. Latria. This is a beautiful word. This is a word in which ties together service. Worship. It marries them together so much so that when you read through the New Testament and you see this word pop up, it's interchanged as worship and service, and it's always in reference to worship and service to God. So when we look at this, I don't want you to look back and think back upon what was to take place inside the temple as being burdensome or work-like, but rather it's worship. It's work that is worship. And it's very, very important. and significant that the the author of Hebrews is saying, this is a daily act of worship and, and worship. Because oftentimes when we think about what took place in a tabernacle, we associate it with a Sunday morning. But the fact that when it starts talking about, therefore, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in its earthly sanctuary. For a tent was prepared, the outer, in which were the lampstand, the table of presents, a presentation of bread that is called the holy place. And These activities were taking place on a daily basis. And so what the author of Hebrews is being focused on here is not just a once a week kind of activity, but a daily activity of worship. A daily activity of worship taking place within the temple. So this is going to be important as we go through it and apply it to our own lives and our understanding of how this means to us today. Well, first we see, uh, before I do this... um, there, there, there are some individuals I feel like I'm overdue in honoring. I think the Bible teaches us to honor, give honor to those who honor is due. Laborer does due his wages. I have been blessed with the opportunity to serve along, to serve with some amazing men. And I just want to honor them for a moment for their service. Because these men serve you with great hearts of worship. And these men have have served alongside of me. Um, Steve Furman was part of the board that hired me. Steve is our current chairman of the elder board. Steve worships in life not only by serving this church body, but he also serves on the board of Heritage Heights and even in his own HOA board. And and, um, my mind's drawing blank, Steve. Shalant Hills. Um, Steve is going to come and present God's word to you next week. Steve preached his first sermon while I was on sabbatical. You know how terrifying that is? It's, it's crazy hard. Like, and Steve is just such a faithful servant of the word. He brought in his, his, kind of his exegesis work this week to me and looked over it. I'm telling you what you're in for a treat next week. And I, and I made it hard on my. I don't think he only gave him five verses. I was like, five verses, but they're loaded, man. You know, you could cross-reference yourself to death going through this one. But uh, he's going to have a great job. And I just, I love Steve and Kathy and their faithfulness Amen. to God. And their faithful service to God. Yes, I think of Tom Dunbar, who's one of my heroes. And I hope, I pray I'm as active as Tom is when I'm 29 years old. Um... Tom going to Mexico and leading trips and, and Tom and I even, you know, lovingly disagreeing on some minor theological things together, but loving each other. And Tom has taught me what it is to love people and disagree with them at the same time. Amen. And that we can come and be part of the same church body and and so part of the same elder board together and serve. You see, notice that at Livingstone, we're a non-denominational church. We have people from assemblies of God, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian backgrounds, all worshiping God here together. And I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely beautiful. Think of Glenn Snyder and Jen. We need to be praying for them because Glenn is about ready to be a daddy again. Jen is downstairs serving in Kidville, and she's going to like literally have the baby this week. Everybody pray Tuesday. We just need to be universally agreed on Tuesday, okay? It needs to happen before Christy and I leave. But uh, um, Glenn has just been an incredible, humble servant. He is a young man, considered to be by many, but a very discerning and has a very close, intimate heart with God. Amen. And he's very passionate for God, and especially for our kids. If you ever watch him during VBS, it's just amazing. And our youth, he loves our youth. His heart breaks for the youth. Think of John and Amy Simpson. John is newer to our church body, but has just stepped up in such a big way. And he is he's full of passion and full of excitement. And he's a great discipler. He is all about scooping up other men and teaching them the word and leading them in the word. And he has just been an incredible, he's the one that leads our our, our adults. Bible study time, immediately following the service. If you've never gone, I would encourage you to go. Um, Basically, they're going to go through what we talk about here, but ask good questions and wrestle with it more. I love John. I love Amy. They're just such passionate, wonderful people. I think of Dwight. In Orlando, Dwight is... um, Dwight's my storyteller. Dwight teaches me to slow down. And listen to the voice of God. I love these men very much. I think of Paul McNally. Paul's my buddy. We gave each other such a hard time. How do you know I lo- really, really love you? I give you incredible amounts of grief. Um, <clears throat> ask Paul. Um, Paul has taught me, Paul and I have had some really hard discussions. I mean, there's been times with Paul that I've just locked horns and gotten into it and we've hugged it out and we've lo- I love that man deeply. Amen. He has been so patient with me. Yes. And Pat, his amazing wife and all the medical issues they've gone through and they just keep praising Jesus. Yes. Martin has served as an elder with me Amen. and I've appreciated Martin and his patience and his quietness. And his love for his bride. Yes. As she slowly loses memory that he even exists. Why? Why? Talk about these men. And Because I, I, I want you to understand. That God has gifted this body of believers. With, with people who love Jesus and, and love you. And the desire to see God glorified in this place, they're not, they're not seeking their own praise and they're probably going to be very uncomfortable with me talking about them like this. And I'd be remiss to leave out Robert. Robert's no longer an active elder, but he's still part of our elders. And Robert has... Robert has a gift for people. And you wouldn't know it. Many people, Robert is an extreme introvert, and he got up and he preached. I think he slept for three days after he did. Um, Extreme introvert, but a faithful student of the word of God and very, very serious about what it means to apply the word of God to everyday things in life. I am who I am, and I'm able to preach the way I'm able to preach because I'm surrounded by such men who pray for me, who hold me accountable, who teach me about God's word. I just wanted you to just, I just, I have not done that. in the seven and a half years that I've been the pastor here, just taking the time to honor them. And so when you see them, just give them a hug and thank them. Because when you become a leader in the church body, you do paint a target on your chest and the evil one comes after you because the evil one loves to take down leaders. And they have lovingly and faithfully served and I'm just so appreciative of them. Amen. Thank you. Little side note this morning. But I think it's just a delight to see if you want an example of what it is to serve and work and worship. There's your examples. So the author goes on and he's going to talk about um, what takes place are the different elements within the tabernacle. So the, the tabernacle was designed, the temple, the tabernacle was designed in a large rectangular area. And the outer courts, the, the author of Hebrews is not going to address, would have had this bronze layer to wash and then it would have had a huge sacrificial altar that would have been outside. And, and people could have come into that, into the outer area. But no one except for priests were able to go into the holy place. And no one but the high priest was able to go into the holy of holies. And in the holy place, there were three things. Now, the author of Hebrews is going to throw you a curveball this morning. But from the author of Hebrews' perspective, he is thinking of not just, he is not thinking of, of places of where things were at, like positionally located, but rather their functionality on the day of atonement. Okay, I want you to kind of think that way. He's coming at it from the perspective of their functionality on the Day of Atonement, what role they would have played on the Day of Atonement, which would have been the day once a year when the high priest would have come in and, and served in the Holy of Holies and brought, up, brought blood in, in there. And so in, the, in the outer, this outer room that would have been sealed off from the outer court, was this place called the Holy Place. And there was the, the altar of incense, there was the table of showbread, and then there was also this golden lampstand. And he began speaking about here, this golden lampstand. Well, God put that in there. So you've got to understand, the, the curtains were made extremely dense. It would have been completely blacked out in that space. There would have been no light visible in the holy place or the holy of holies had there not been this lampstand. And this lampstand served as a reminder to God's people to, that they, they kept it continually lit, that God is the light for the people of Israel. That if not for God, there would be no light, no path, no understanding of what it is to have eternal life, what it is to serve God, what it is to be obedient to God, what it is to be in relationship with God. That God is the light for Israel. And then, and then you've got also there in the holy place also the table of showbread, and they would have every week baked more bread, and for the twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes of Israel, they would have sat on the table of presents or the table of showbread there, and they would have sat there as a continual reminder that God provided for the people's needs, that God met their needs. He caused the water to fall upon the earth. He caused the seed to grow, and they caused the harvest to be able to be harvested. And they were able then to take this bread and to make it, to knead it, to dough it, and to place it in there as this continual reminder that God provides for the physical needs, the sustenance needs of the people of Israel. And there's there's this altar of incense. Now, if we're reading in the text here, it seems that if you were to that the author of Hebrews is placing the altar of incense inside the Holy of Holies. But we know that's not where it was placed. Again, the author of Hebrews is coming at it as their functionality on the Day of Atonement. But because on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would have taken up some incense embers and would place them within this metal container. If you've all been to Catholic Church where they've done this. They've got the, that, what's that called? I forget what the Catholic folk. It's for it's Glenn at. Glenn's note. Censor. Censor. There we go. Thanks, Steve. Censor. And it would have been in there and he would have swung it and it would carry that, that aroma into the Holy of Holies. And that Roma representing the prayers of God's people before God. That, that the prayers of God's people, the intercession of God, that God would hear the prayers of his people. That God bound himself to the people of God and he heard their prayers. And these were the sweet offerings of prayers up before the throne of God. Carried into the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it's very interesting because the author says we can't speak in detail here of this event. Some have said, well, that's because the temple had been destroyed by this point. I don't believe so. I believe that the author wasn't going to dive into the increase of the Ark of the Covenant because it would have taken away from the message that he was trying to bring. He's focusing specifically on three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. He's focusing upon the, the tablets of the law that were in the Ark of the Covenant which represented God's covenant to his people. And that as long as God's people obeyed those covenants, God would not cause harm to come upon his people. He would bless his people and he would multiply his people. He also had within there the, the budding staff of Aaron, which is just fabulously, like my, all my biology mavers, and you really ought to be kind of geeked out by that because you're like, you've got a dead stick that's, that's flowering. That's really cool. A dead stick that's flowering. And and, and and it, you're representing, when you think about the rod, the staff, I mean, the power of God. Before, before Pharaoh threw that thing down and it became a serpent, right? And, and when we, this power of God representing in this staff, budding and showing life within the Ark of the Covenant. And then you've got a jar of manna. As the Israelites traveled during the Exodus time, God provided for their, their need, their, their food every day, manna from heaven. From heaven, God provided for them. And so he's talking about, he's bringing about into these, these elements. And why? Why is he doing this? Well, so far in the book of Hebrews, it's been about who? There's an answer. It's okay. You could say it. Jesus, there we go, there we go got me scared, we had to go back to chapter 1 here in a second All right, it's about Jesus, right and so as we look at these elements we're going, okay, the whole book's been about Jesus, there's not going to be a shift and a change right here we need to look at this and understand this in light of the better covenant, that these different items in regards to the day of atonement in regards to Jesus Christ, have meaning still for us today, and Jesus fulfilled each and every one of them Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let me see if I'm going to get this to work here. But before we do that, I want to read Hebrews 9 and 10 to you. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Year after year, the Day of Atonement will plague Take place daily in the holy place. Activities were taking place that could not purify the mind. And the word there is lutria the mind of the worshiper, the mind of the service person. All the activities they took place could not cleanse their heart and their minds. Brothers and sisters, that has not changed. We cannot do anything to cause our hearts and our minds to be cleansed apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a need for a service, a work that had not yet taken place within the tabernacle to be done. And that was done through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. For these only deal with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. These are the things that they're supposed to progress past. Remember back in Hebrews 6, talking about those things that you guys I wish you guys would hear better now, but you're still stuck in the elementary things, the washings and those kind of things. Listen, I don't want you to think about these things. I want you to progress beyond them and understand that they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that you no longer need to participate in them anymore. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you may be very familiar with this verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't miss Paul's language here. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Lutria. Don't miss this. We have a change. Underneath the new covenant it is no longer about a building, the temple or the tabernacle and the activities of worship taking place within them. It is now about you and me being the temple of God and dwelt by the presence of God when the Holy Spirit indwells us, the time of faith in Jesus Christ, that we are to be living sacrifices. We don't take animals anymore and slaughter them upon an altar. We now become objects in which we live our lives out daily, continually, perpetually as sacrifices before God. And this is, is our spiritual act of worship. Quite literally, the language is means this is our reasonable worship before God. Brothers and sisters, this isn't radical faith. I want you to get rid of that. This is reasonable faith. This is expected faith, that we have this understanding that we are now the temple of God, expected to live all of life out before God this is the new covenant this is what it means to be uh, under the new covenant that it's no longer about rituals and washings and sacrifices that took place at this at this place called the temporal tabernacle it is rather we are to be the temple of God lived out for God every single day and every moment of our day how do we do this? that is a great question I'm so glad you asked that all right Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the articles found within the temple help us to do that. The word of God is still useful, even in the Old Testament, if we properly understand it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Our daily service... Jesus is the fulfillment of that lampstand. Because in Jesus Christ, he is our light. The light of the world. And Jesus Christ shines in the darkness and he reveals our sin. He reveals our brokenness. He even reveals those areas of our lives that we have not yet surrendered to him so that we can surrender them to him. Jesus Christ is the one that illuminates our path so that we can walk for God, with God, in all that we do every single day of our lives. So my question to you this morning, and I would love for you to write these questions down. We've got a lot of them we're going to go through. What is illuminating your path? if I were to ask you this morning what is guiding and directing your steps what would your answer be is it Jesus Christ or is it something else are we looking light for in some some mythical religions are we turning on the news and we're letting the latest politician latest rhetoric light our path I know people who have said to me I am losing sleep over the political atmosphere I am sorry for you because guess what That is lighting your path. And it's leading to darkness. Jesus Christ gives us this incredible light and direction and hope. And I think of this beacon of light that is warming, that is refreshing, and that heals our hearts and directs our steps every single day. And the only way Jesus Christ is lighting your path is if you spend time with him. I must confess to you this last week, I struggled to do that regularly and I missed it dearly. We were tired, we were getting up late and once I made you parents, you get this, you get up late, the kids are up, then life gets rolling. No excuse, I missed it. I didn't handle situations this week like I could have handled, but I didn't hope in God like I could have hoped in God. Because my life, my, I was not looking for Jesus to be my light because I wasn't spending time with him. What is lighting your path? What is lighting your light? The next thing we see is this, this table of, of showbread or bread of presence. Jesus is our great provider. I love the statement that the woman at the well says when, you know, I can give you water that you'll never need to thirst from. You'll never, need, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, give me that water. Right? And like, what a perfect setup, right? Because then Jesus is able to right move into that conversation. She's so good at that. Listen, Jesus is our provider. He gives provision to us every single day. Has he not clothed the flowers of the fields? Does he not know the hairs on our heads? Does he not know if a small bird falls from its nest will he not care for you what are or who or what is meeting your needs Jesus is your great provider and he will take care of you and he will meet your needs and there's no reason to be anxious for tomorrow tomorrow For anxiousness only leads to more hurt and more brokenness and more anxiousness. Think of the altar of incense. (laughs) Jesus is our intercessor. I hope you come to love that word. For in the book of Hebrews, it is so significant and so powerful. As our prayers come up before the throne of God, Jesus intercedes on our behalf so that our our prayers are carried into the very presence of the almighty god they're not inhibited by our own messiness and brokenness jesus is our great intercessor so what or who are you looking to save you we can't save ourselves Money won't save us. Friends won't save us. Boyfriends won't save us. Girlfriends won't save us. Spouses won't save us. Colleges, education won't save us. Only Jesus will save us. And only Jesus holds us. We see manna within the Ark of the Covenant. God not only provides for our physical needs on a daily basis, Jesus is our spiritual provider of all of our needs. He's what we need. He's our all in all. Are we living to need his nourishment? And what I mean by that question is this, and I know this can be a confusing question. Listen, if if we're not living sacrifices... We won't need Jesus. If we're not making disciples, if we're not pouring our lives into other people, if we're not loving God and loving people, we won't need Jesus' spiritual nourishment. We'll be just fine on our own. You see, God calls us to live sacrificially, that's costly there's a movement amongst Christians right now and it's kind of making me frustrated a little bit to leave places like here or or somewhere else because it's becoming too liberal and they're going to go move to where people think more like them I have a struggle with that we're needed here Yes, they're needed in those places too, but heaven isn't here. The only place we can move where people are going to think more like the way we're supposed to think is heaven. Amen. Right. Amen. Don't be shocked when every portion of the United States becomes liberal. Don't be shocked. You're going to become really good at moving. <laughs> if, if, if I'm serious. like The question is, you got to ask God, where are you calling me to be and be there? because this isn't about saving the political system of the United States this isn't about saving the United States it's about saving the people of this world for the kingdom of heaven but listen To live that way is going to cost you, but you'll need Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. If you love people and if you pour yourself out for people and that person that you're ministering to continues to spit in your face and you keep ministering to them, it's going to to wear you out. But you can do it by the spiritual nourishment of Jesus Christ because then you're going to need Jesus. You're going to need the manna from heaven. You're going to need it. But if you're not loving God, if you're not loving people, if you're not making disciples... You won't need Jesus. And I'm sorry for you. Because the beauty of this world is found in our desperate need for Jesus Christ. Are you living in such a way that you need his nourishment? You got this budding rod. Oh, I love this. God making dead things come to life. beautiful example and understand something brothers and sisters we were all once dead hearts of stone we all had zero spiritual, zero spiritual value for the kingdom of heaven so when you look at your neighbor and you look at your friend and you look at your relative and you see a dead person think of the budding rod Jesus brings dead things to life And you were once dead. I was once dead. And God miraculously worked within us and saved our hearts. So when you think about them, do not give up on them. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop leaning in. Because again, you're going to need Jesus to do this, right? You're going to need his spiritual nourishment. Praise be to God. But don't give up. For people who've lived in this valley for a long time, there are people you've given up on. For fam- you've had you got other people who you've known family members. Some of you, you're the only Christian in your family, and every time you get together for a family gathering, you feel like that you're the you're the the wonderful thing that they launch up in the air and shoot at, right? <laughs> Praise be to God, because you're going to need Jesus to go into that family gathering. And praise be to God that you get to pray for those people so that dead things can come to life. The beautiful budding rod, that's what Jesus does. He takes dead things and brings them to life through his life, death, and resurrection. Praise be to God. That's exciting stuff. You've got the Ark of the Covenant. within the holy place. You see, what the priest used to do once a year is he would bring in, after offering a sacrifice for on behalf of his own sins, he'd bring in the blood and he'd put blood upon the four horns of the altar of incense and then he'd come and he'd pour that blood over the beam of seed of Christ. And he'd do it again the next year. And he'd do it again the next year. And he'd do it again the next year. the Bema seat. This, This position upon which the cherubim oversat and overlooked and would have been this place where they would have poured out the blood. But it is blood of Jesus Christ that wipes away our forgiveness, our sin. Never to be repeated, never to be done again. Sufficient for all of time. Christ fulfills The Day of Atonement, through a sacrifice upon the cross. I want to ask you a question this morning, and if you walk away answering one question, it's uh, I want you to answer this: Who or what are you not forgiving? Who or what? Because we've been forgiven. If you're a child of God here this morning, you have been forgiven. Who are you what, not, not forgiving? Who are you holding that forgiveness back from? Because we shouldn't be because we have been forgiven much. Are we living as redeemed people of God? Are we living as, as people who have been, had their sins forgiven? Or are we living as condemned people of God? Because condemned people of God are bitter, angry, and resentful. Forgiven people of God are filled with hope, life, joy, expectation, like we wake up every day going, God, what are you going to do today? Because we're, I'm forgiven, and you're going to forgive more people today, and I get to be part of your redemptive work in other people's lives. Yes. I went to coffee yesterday. It just broke my heart. Chris and I got up in the morning and went to coffee. There was an individual there I've had interaction with before, and I've attempted to reconcile. I don't know why he's still angry with me. The only three people in that place are Christy, I, and this other guy and the people working behind the counter. I'm standing right behind him. He puts his head down and walks away. And I'm just like, my heart's breaking because I'm like, man, this is supposed to be a brother in Christ. And, and and he thinks like, oh, I'm just I'm standing my ground, but he's he's devastating his own relationship with God, and that's why I was so sad. It wasn't because he's mad at me. His own relationship with God is being held back because of lack of forgiveness. And that's what we think we think if we don't forgive somebody, that somehow we're, oh, I'm holding my ground. If I offer them forgiveness, they're gonna get over on me. No. You are hurting your relationship with God and it will pour over into other relationships in your life. You cannot hold that tidal wave back. You'll stop loving your spouse less. You'll stop loving your kids less. You'll stop loving other people around you less. You won't be able to know the beauty of the community of Jesus Christ if you don't forgive. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven us much. We can forgive much. And we can let it go. And we can be free in Jesus Christ. Don't let those seeds take root in your life and destroy this beautiful relationship that we have with God, the freedom that we can have because we have this great high priest and he's interceding on behalf of me. And he can't take a day off because of me. Let's stop pointing the finger at other people. Well, yeah, so and so is the reason Jesus can't take off. <sighs> no, me. Me. Really, me. me. My brokenness, my sin, my shame, my guilt, all that junk is the reason Jesus can't take a day off. Oh, and I'm so grateful He doesn't. Oh, yes. So grateful He's my light that yes. shines in the darkness. Especially the darkness of my own heart. I'm so thankful that he is the provider that is a husband and supposedly provider for my family. I don't have to worry about where the next meal comes from. I don't have to worry about if I don't get a paycheck tomorrow. I don't have to worry about if my wife is, because my God will provide for my needs, because Jesus is the great provider. He made everything. Jesus is my great intercessor. He hears my prayers, not because of what I've done, because of what he did. Jesus is the bread of life. He provides for all of our spiritual nourishment. He grows us up in him. Jesus is the one that makes dead things alive. Am I living my life like he brings dead things to life? Jesus is the great lawgiver, giver, giving, placing us underneath the new covenant that provides forgiveness for our sins. Yes. And writes the law upon our hearts, not stone anymore. You see, God doesn't want your rituals. God doesn't want your religion. He wants your heart. He wants you to listen to his voice. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to, to dine with him on the incredible nourishment he provides in the Word of God. But if you're not in it, you can't enjoy it. Amen. He wants you to talk with him as if you're in the same room with him. If he's right there, he wants you to, to, to experience life with him. This is our Savior. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're not condemned. You're not. You're forgiven. For us, it's going back to the garden. It's it's in the cool of the evening. It's, it's this idea of us walking with God and enjoying this incredible fellowship with Him, and then living our lives as if we just walked out of the throne room of God. But the beauty of it is the way God works now is we don't ever have to leave. Are you living your life in light of Jesus being your high priest? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. What a gift that we've been given not only in the work of Jesus Christ but also in in this book, Lord, to remind us that our lives look different. How we live our lives is so different because Jesus is our high priest. Because we have been forgiven. Because we have light and darkness. We have hope. Such incredible hope. Father God, I pray that as we see each other throughout this week that this isn't about a Sunday thing. This is about a daily thing. This is about how we worship you every single day. We worship you, Lord. For the renewing of our hearts, the renewing of our minds. That when we see the brokenness of the world, we're not, we're not surprised. Lord God, that we know that you're able to to redeem and and to, to, to heal even the saddest and the brokest of things. Lord, may we be poured out living sacrifices for you. May we be in desperate need of the spiritual nourishment that flows from the throne of God. Because we've lived in such a way. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right. Um, it's our God story time. If you're visiting with us this morning, um, this is our, our time where we as a body of, of Christ talk about God as our hero. And, and God is writing these incredible stories upon our hearts and lives through the week, and that sometimes what we think is mundane or less than significant is actually really powerful as we see as God's worked in our lives. And so we just kind of share these stories with each other. So who's going to be the first one to share the story this morning?
1: I do um, take care of people's houses when they're gone. So there was um, a friend of mine and he asked me to go check on something. So I went up there early one morning and I was passing Starbucks and here was this gentleman with a big heavy pack on and there was a sign um, we're in a wonderful place where the Pacific Crest Trail actually goes through and there's a spot in Stahecon and then they could travel on to Canada. And I saw him and I was like, well, I gotta get up there and open the house. And then as soon as I, if he's still there, when I come back, I wanna talk to him. And he was. And so I came through the drive-through. I actually stopped in the drive-through. So I'm sure there were people that weren't happy with me, but I stopped and I said, I would love to know your story. And I would just pray that you have safe travels. He had 100 miles left, so it was just from here to Canada is all he had left. He was rugged. He was not super clean. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, his little dog came out. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I gave him some money, and I just said, go have a warm meal. Treat your dog to something sweet. And I said, just thank you so much for what you're doing because it's your, it just gives me encouragement for what's out there. So.
2: I might have a God moment and some God challenges. Mm -hmm. And what you just said, Scott, about being reminded about what's important. So uh, yesterday I got a phone call uh, from a, I have a rental property that we had a problem. And at first I got all upset and I was like, oh, this is an emergency, I don't wanna deal with this. And I walked out my front door and a friend drove by who has a real burden in her life. Her husband has Alzheimer's and he's just broke a major bone in his body and it's like thank you God I have an issue I don't have a deal so as I was walking I called my son and I said hey I'm having a problem I could really use some help would you come up and he said yes and uh, this is uh, my youngest and several years ago I don't know what happened like a switch just flipped and he like totally put me out of his life for no reason that I ever knew of, and we had a great relationship, but boom, he was going to come up so as I was walking over to the apartment, I thought well i 'll let Sam go through my treasures because I collect really cool old things and I said, I'll just let him go in the shed or in the basement he can pick a treasure for helping me today." So we did the day, and um, it wasn't very fun and but we shared some really great things and uh, it was like I had my old kid back. Anyway so we um, had some pizza and he went on his way and he's walking away and he's got this little glint in his eye and he says hey mom if you wanted to give me something I would really like that beautiful golden lamp. Well that wasn't in the shed and it wasn't in the basement it's in my room (laughs) and when I woke up this morning it's like I love that lamp. And it's like, no, no, no. You don't love things, you love people. I love my son, and that's who I'm supposed to love. But no, I got to wrestle with that little challenge. Do I give him the lamp or not? So, God moment, a God clarification, and a God challenge. Thank you,
0: Linda. Well, what is a blessing to some person that's maybe getting a new home or a new car or something material? What about when you walk into your wife's room and her eyes are open? Three weeks ago, when I'd walk into my wife's room, I couldn't shake her awake. Yesterday, her eyes were open. We were able to enjoy the entire day together. So, something small, maybe something, a real blessing. We went outside and she was able to enjoy the sunshine. A beautiful day. That was my blessing yesterday.
1: Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, I just wanted to share that we had another really sweet time, sweet sweet time in our life group the other night, and I just I'm so thankful for what God is doing through our group. I just want to share and thank everybody for all their prayers for my cancer. Um, it isn't in my lip nodes, and it's early stages and I'll start radiation at the end of the month. Thank you everyone for your prayers.